right, well, good morning, everyone. It's so good uh, to be with you this morning. Um, hope you guys are all doing well and really looking forward to sharing uh, this time together. Really excited about the season that we're in, though it's difficult. And I'm really excited at what the Lord's put on my heart to share with you guys this morning. Um, but before we do that, that's a passage that I want to share with you. And it comes out of 2 Corinthians in chapter 8. And let me read that to you. It says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us, so that we might urge Titus that as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in, your, in our love for you, we want you to excel also in the generous undertaking. That's an amazing passage because I love basically the testimony that Paul shares about the Macedonian churches in the place of generosity. He said that they voluntarily gave and they, they gave with an abundant joy. They gave within their means and some even gave beyond their means. They actually, it says that they begged for the opportunity to give so that they could share in the ministry of the saints. And then at the very end of all of this, he says we're called to grow in this grace of giving in any season with joy. And I thought, man, what amazing testimony that Paul reads off in the Macedonian churches who gave in such a severe time and affliction uh, when things were tight and they begged for the opportunity to give. And then after all that, he says, hey, let's grow in this grace of giving. And so this morning, I just want to encourage us all to grow in this place of generosity. We as a church want to be a church of generosity. And I know for myself, I want to be a person who's generous and to encourage all of us. And I quickly think back over the testimonies of places that we've given uh, to Uganda and other places. And it's been such a joy over the last couple of years to see Northland's church so generous. And I just want to compel us that even now, in a severe trial, in a difficulty, that we would be those that would grow in the grace of giving. We want you to give as you feel led today, with a joyful heart, not under any compulsion. And, and you can do this by going online to northlandschurch.com and hit the Give tab. And we're also asking you to consider if you wouldn't give, if you want to help further, to our food pantry or also to our benevolence fund so that we can help families who find themselves in need in our community and those also within the church. So the, you can go online to do that. You can look for food pantry. It's on there, the Grace Food Pantry, and then also uh, the benevolence account um, where you normally give online. Excited to see what the Lord does with that. So today I'm going to be talking about kindness in uncertain times. Kindness in uncertain times. I don't know about you guys, I think we find ourselves in a time of uncertainty right now, but I couldn't help but think back during times of my life when I've 
been in times of uncertainty where I didn't have the answers. I, I wasn't sure what to do. I didn't know how to navigate the place I was in. And the best one I could think of is in being a new parent. Uh, Michelle and I now have five beautiful children, uh, ranging from 11 up. Our youngest is 11. But thinking back when our first child was born and the things that we went to, it, man, talk about a time of uncertainty. I was reminded this week as I was thinking about it, about when our first son, Matthew, was born and getting ready for the birth and Michelle's um, pregnant with child and thinking to myself, gosh, I wonder if I can be a good dad. I wonder if I can do the things that are necessary to raise him. I was that guy that didn't really want to hold babies because I thought, what if I break it? You know, so I just know I'm, I want to hold the baby. No, I'm good. You know, I'll just wave from here. So I was a little worried, you know, about how, how could I do this and with no experience and, and even the classes we took couldn't prepare me for the uncertainty of parenting. I remember, you know, they give you a little doll and say, this is how you put it on a diaper. Well, the thing is, the doll doesn't cry. It doesn't move its feet in an awkward way. So it was really easy on a doll. But then when you have the baby and they're kicking and moving and they're pulling out of the diaper and ripping it off, it's a whole new world. But I couldn't help but think back of that uncertainty. And I remember when Matthew was born, you know, it was the perfect setting. The doctor's like, oh, you get to cut the umbilical cord. And I just thought to myself, I sure hope I don't pass out. And, uh, but looking forward to this experience, and then in the midst of it, um, things got a little tense in the birthing room, and all of a sudden they asked me to scoot back, and what had happened is the cord was wrapped around Matthew's neck, and it was going to be a difficult delivery, and they were trying to figure things out, and how do we get this on, and, and I, could, I could sense the panic in the room. I could sense the uncertainty and what I thought was going to be a beautiful moment and exciting and I'd cut this cord and the baby, I mean, I just thought it was amazing, but all of a sudden it turned to even more uncertainty that I had before. I remember as they were getting Matthew out when he finally came out and they were able to take the cord, he was, he was very blue. And um, I still thought, well, maybe this is normal. Do I get to cut the cord? And they quickly pulled him away from the table. Doctor cut the cord. They put him on a, on a table and they put oxygen down his throat and they began to massage his chest and I, I could tell that he wasn't breathing. And so in that moment, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, did we come this far and all the difficulty things that happened. And it was a, probably about five to seven minutes when they were working on Matthew, but it honestly felt like eternity. It felt like it just, the time went by so slow. And finally, I heard Matthew cry. And um, everyone kind of laughed, and he was fine. He was perfectly fine. They took the oxygen out. He was breathing on his own, so they're cleaning him up. And then joy hits, and I'm excited. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And, you know, I didn't get to get the cord, but now I know that he's fine. And so there, all the nurses and doctors are focusing in. Congratulations, it's a boy, and everything's happy now. And so they say, hey, we need to take him to do the things that we do. And so all the nurses walk out of the room, and the doctor's watching them go, and then I hear this alarm go off and I look back at Michelle and I've never seen it. It was just ash gray as she passed out. And the doctor turned around and he goes, oh, she's hemorrhaging. And so he sat down, he called for a nurse and nobody came. And he started calling for a nurse loudly, like yelling. And I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, I just went from uncertainty to joy. Now I'm back in uncertainty again. I'm looking at Michelle and I'm calling her name. She's not responding and he can't get a nurse. And he looks at me, and goes, look at me. I need you to be a nurse. I need you to get this and open. So I'm sitting there opening sterile things, trying not to touch them so that he could do what he needs to do. And during that time, a nurse came in 
And everything turned out perfect and uh, as could be. But man, going from uncertainty to joy and then uncertainty, man, it was, it was tough. And I remember thinking, man, what a, what a difficult way, you know, to experience what I thought was going to be this joyful, fun, man, just turned into something. I thought, well, one is enough. You know, we don't need to have any more. And I remember holding Matthew um, through that whole time and thinking to myself, man, I, I, no, I'll, I'll go wherever he goes. I'll carry him. I'll take him. Um, and so it went from uncertainty and then joy and then ultimately joy. But nothing could prepare me for the uncertainty of what was next for parenting. And this is where it gets a little funny. I remember uh, we had to buy a car seat. So I bought this five-point safety harness system with all of these bells and whistles and gadgets. It's supposed to be top of the line. So we bring it and I put it in the car, but we couldn't figure out how to put it in the car because every time we put Matthew in the car seat, he'd kind of lean forward like this and we'd hold his head up. And I thought, well, did they have a strap for his head or how's this, you know, overthought? And so the only way we could find out to put the car seat in where Matthew could sit in it is to lay it on its back. Little did we know what we didn't have was an infant car seat. It was a normal child car seat. So we laid it in the back with the, the back on the on the back of the back seat. And so Matthew's laying there, kind of like an astronaut, right? He's laying there. And I'm glad we only lived three minutes from our house because by the time we got home, his face was all red from being upside down as he's sitting on the back seat. Just a side note, it was funny, out of high school, Matthew was uh, offered a job at NASA working. And I said, see, it's a car seat. We prepared him. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, we had the car seat wrong and then... The whole diaper thing, as I said, you know, him kicking his feet and moving around. The doll didn't do that. And so I remember one spot in particular, Michelle's like, hey, could you, could you give me a hand and help me change Matthew? I said, yeah, no problem. And so we were sitting there and, and we had um, purchased some white couches. Yeah, see, back then, white couches, everyone thought were a good idea. And we quickly found out that that wasn't such a good idea to have white couches or to change your child um, on a white couch. So we quickly learned when, when changing, you know, you open the diaper and then you better hurry up and close it or somehow your shirt's going to get all wet. And uh, so we open and close and wait. And so Michelle had to grab another diaper. So I was just holding Matthew and uh, he decided it would be a really good time to uh, fill his diaper, but there was no diaper on. So there go our white couches. But the uncertainty of parenting and going, oh my gosh, how's this all going to work? Well, it was good because when we were in this place of, I don't know what we're going to do and how are we ever going to travel? We don't have the right car seat and all of this. Uh, we reached out to Michelle's mom, who's raised uh, six or actually seven children of her own and many foster kids. And she told us exactly, okay, this is the car seat you're going to buy. Go to Target and pick it up. And this is what you're going to do with this. And here's the formula. And she gave us this list and really saved the day for us. And shout out to her because she really helped us when we didn't know what we were doing. And so I don't know about you, but for me, being in a time of uncertainty in, in those kind of things, um, man, it was, it was really difficult. And even today, as a nation, we can find ourselves in times of uncertainty. But I have found that, as the title says, kindness in uncertain times. See, kindness has a power to change things. One of the things that took place at the hospital was after everything happened and, you know, I was thinking through a little frustrated but glad that Matthew was good and Michelle was good, the doctor actually came in and brought um, a dozen flowers for Michelle and said, hey, um, 
I know that didn't go as planned, and, and I just want to say I'm sorry. And he brought in these flowers that he purchased, and I thought, wow, that's amazing that he would go out of his way to buy us some flowers and to give it to us and, and, and to say, hey, sorry it didn't go the way that we had planned it to go. Just that little act of kindness that he brought, brought, brought a settling to us. It was just like in the struggle of when we first got Matthew home and, and the kindness of Michelle's mom to talk us through and, hey, this is the car seat you need and this is the kind of formula you're going to need to buy. And she kind of walked us through what it was going to look like. It's the kindness of the Lord. The other thing is she paid for the car seat and said, nope, I want to do this. It's, it's my coming home present. Man, kindness is powerful. And see, we're in a season and in a time where you and I get to use this kindness to transform the atmosphere around us wherever we are. And I want to share a passage with you and walk through it with you because I found that in many times Jesus did the exact same thing. There's a situation and he walks in and shares his kindness in such a way that totally transforms the situation and the outcome is completely different. So if you want to follow along, it'll be on the screen or or you can get your Bible out and turn to John chapter 8. And it's, it's a common story that, that I'm sure you're aware of and heard through. But I want us to look at this from a different perspective than maybe we have. And so in starting in verse 1, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. What, what a cool scenario, you know, that dawn rises here. Jesus walks in and everyone's like, hey, Jesus, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, and everyone gathers around him and he goes, hey, let, let me share some things. And so as he begins to share in verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus does something amazing. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he bent down and wrote on the ground again. Can you imagine with me the uncertainty of this woman? That somehow caught in this act, she's thinking, what are the priests and, 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 and the high official? what are they doing? How do they know? And they, they grab her. And I don't know how far it was from where she was to the temple, but there had to be a scene through the streets of where they're forcing her to go. And it's this big commotion. I mean, for all she knew, they were going to take her right out to the city, outside the city, and, and stone her. So she might have been thinking, oh my gosh, this is the end of my life. I'm going to die right here. Please let me go. I can explain. I mean, there's just massive uncertainty. And then as she starts to see, they're going, oh my gosh, they're taking me to the temple. And so now she's at the temple and there's this crowd gather and they, they put her in the middle. And I don't know if she fell or whatever, but they made her stand, scripture says, and they brought her before Jesus. And she's got to be thinking, oh my gosh. What is going to happen? Talk about uncertainty. She has no idea what's about to happen. And then they speak truth. Hey, this lady was caught. And so the, the law says she should be stoned. What do you say? And she's thinking, I mean, she's got to just be overwhelmed at thinking what in the world is about to happen. And as Jesus writes, begins to write down in the dirt, um, they say they start 
jeering at him more. And they start asking him, hey, come on, Jesus. What do you think we should do? Yeah, Rabbi, what do you think we should do? And it's this hostile environment where they're looking to either trap him or punish her. And it's got to be just the craziest thing. I'm sure the crowd is speechless. And there's just this tense, uncertain moment that she's caught. And her life is hanging before the balance. She has no idea what's going to happen. Imagine that kind of uncertainty. But this is what's amazing. We serve a God who diffuses uncertainty. See, what Jesus does is he takes this aspect of of what's going on and there's a fuse that's burning and it looks like it's going to be this massive explosion that's going to take place. They're either going to stone her right there, they're going to drag her out, he's going to condemn her, but what's about to happen is this explosive, horrible thing and Jesus reaches over, grabs the fuse and pulls it out. He diffuses that uncertainty. And he stands up saying, hey, let you, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. That's just that, you know, almost like a pulls the, the fuse out. And now this explosive situation just comes to a halt. We serve a God who diffuses uncertainty. The, the jeering, the loudness, all of this stuff, and with one grab of Jesus's hand. He grabs the fuse and diffuses the situation. This big explosion becomes a dud. This big ordeal becomes a nothing. And we've got to remember, even in the time we're in, we serve a God who diffuses uncertainty. It goes on in verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older one first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asks her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. So there's all this pressure. Jesus removes the fuse and then he poses these questions And people begin to leave, the older ones first, because they're wiser. And all of a sudden, this massive explosion is done with. And the next thing that happens, the pressure, the fear that maybe was rising in her, but with the one stroke of Jesus' finger writing, he unravels fear. And almost picture it like grabbing a thread from a sweater and pull it. And it just unravels. It just becomes unglued. Because not only do we serve a God who diffuses uncertainty, we also serve a God who unravels fear. See, at that moment, with everything that's going on, she's got to be in a position where she's, she's thinking, it's done, it's over. The uncertainty of everything she's facing, people yelling and jeering at her, and they're speaking truth, and she's stuck in that position. And he says, hey, you who has no sin, you throw the first one. And he diffuses uncertainty. And as they walk away, she's left to look at only one person, and it's Jesus. And fear begins to unravel. Because he could have grabbed a stone. He could have taken a different direction, but he didn't. We serve a God who unravels fear. And then taking you back in verse 10, Jesus straightens up. He could have responded in so many different ways, but he straightens up. He looks at her and says, woman, 
Where are they? Has no one condemned you? She looks back and says, no one, sir. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Can you imagine what is, what is he going to say? Whoever she thought he was, what is he about to declare? What's going to happen before he says, where have your accusers gone? He could have said, now go on, get out of here. Or you're lucky nobody stayed. Or you better leave before they come back because you don't know what's going to happen. But instead, he engages the one who was dismissed. And in so doing, we serve a God who is full of kindness. He's full of kindness. Jesus could have said anything, but instead what he says is, where have your accusers gone? Where's all the jeering and the loud noise? Where's the pointing of finger? She goes, they're all gone. And then he says something amazing. Neither do I condemn you. And then sends her on her way. Neither do I condemn you. That has to be some of the kindest words that she's ever heard in the moment of an uncertain and fearful time. Dragged into a situation, dragged into a circle of people where she thinks it's over. It's all going to end. And Jesus comes in. And his, his parting words are, then neither do I condemn you. That just blows me away. We serve a God who is full of kindness. See, in Romans 2, it says in the second half that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. We get blown away at his kindness. When we, when we recognize that we serve a God who diffuses uncertainty, and we serve a God who unravels fear, and we serve a God who is full of kindness, man, we can face anything. We, any trial, any circumstance that comes our way, because we know who he is, we can face it head on. Now, because he has been so kind to us, our only response must be to be kind to others. If we serve a God who's so kind, who pulls us through uncertainty, unravels fear, then our response is because of this kindness that's been shown to us. I can't believe that I get to show this same kindness to others. In Ephesians 4, it says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. Since we've been shown this such amazing and great kindness from an amazing God who loves us unconditionally and, and gives to us generously without finding fault, we get to then pass that along. And like I said at the beginning, kindness is powerful. A set of roses to, to a family that expected something different. A, a call and, and the help with, with parents that are trying to figure things out. I mean, all around us in the season of uncertainty that we find ourselves, we have a way to battle that in kindness and showing love to other people. That we would be compassionate to one another. Colossians 3.12 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with, and then he says, compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He goes so far to say, and bearing with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
And over all these things put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We get to clothe ourselves, And one of the things he said is with kindness. See, I fully believe like right now the stage is set for us to rise up and to be kind to anybody we can. To ask the Lord, who should we be kind to and, and how can I be kind to people? To ask him for insight and to watch for the ways that he guides and directs us. There's people that live next door. There's people we could email or call. There's people that we could text. There's people that we could stick a note on their door. I just want you to know I'll be praying for you. There's an opportunity that we have to show the kindness of a loving Savior to people, knowing that it's what his kindness that leads us to repentance. People's lives can be radically transformed because of the kindness that you and I extend to people. That's amazing to think of that. So we get to close ourselves. So let the power of kindness bring transformation wherever you go. Let that power bring that transformation to take a situation that's uncertain, like the one we're in, and fill it with kindness. To take a situation where people are afraid, and, and not to judge them, but to allow kindness to unravel that. And to allow us to be full of kindness no matter where we go or whatever we do. We can saturate our surroundings with kindness. Like Jesus did in that scenario with the woman who was caught. Whatever we're facing, no matter the constraints, forget the past and find a way to show kindness. So this week I really want to encourage us in these things. The first thing is to ask the Holy Spirit, who can I express kindness to? You know, I spent some time thinking about that this week. And there's the easy ones. It's like the low-hanging fruit. It's possibly my neighbor and, and these people. But I really started to pray and say, Lord, who, who would you put in my path? Who would you connect me with? How would I run across something in such a way that you could use me as a vessel where there's a place of uncertainty or fear that you can put me in so that I can express your kindness in a way that transforms a thought or transforms a feeling or transforms a situation. And the Lord began to highlight things. It began to highlight people that I could call or people to reach out to or even on a walk you know, and waving at someone and talking to them or whatever it may be, but using that kindness that we've so blessingly received, we've been so blessed to receive, to now extend it to other people. There's power in that. So it's who can I express kindness to and how can I express kindness? See, the Holy Spirit is one of the most creative people I've ever met. It could be a prophetic word to share with somebody. It could be to send something to their house. It could be some words. It could be a phone call. It could be a follow-up phone call. But asking one of the most creative people, the Holy Spirit, to say, Lord, would you show me? Would you reveal to me? How would you have me to be kind in this situation? And I really do believe this is a time for the church to rise up, to express the kindness of God in such an uncertain time that it has a profound effect and brings massive transformation all over our cities. See, we all have a different sphere of influence. We all have different people that we can reach out to and to connect with. And I realize that there are some parameters that have been put on us, but it doesn't stop the kindness of the Lord. 
Think of the parameters that were around you when you came to know Jesus. I know for me, you could look at those things around in my life and think, yeah, that's not going to happen. But the kindness of the Lord broke through those things, changed my circumstances. And when I remember giving my life to Jesus, he broke through, through the kindness of one man who decided to come and visit me and continue to encourage me and let me know about the love of Jesus until I responded. And we have that same opportunity. So this week, let's diffuse uncertainty with kindness. As people begin to share, and I don't know what's going to happen, and who knows how long this is going to be. And, you know, sometimes uh, we can work ourselves up through something where stuff that hasn't even happened overwhelms us. Let's be kindness in those times. Let's pray for one another. Let's encourage one another and build hope in each other. This week, let's unravel fear with kindness where someone finds themselves afraid or how are we going to do this or I don't know. And it's not that the fear is not warranted. People are losing jobs and things are happening, but there's things that we can do. We're looking to put together a page where all the resources of help that can happen, of places looking for jobs and, and places where people can call and get help with rent or food. And that's going to be, we'll, we'll let you know as soon as we get that put together. That'll be on our website soon. So that people that are dealing with the realness of what's taking place, we can have hopefully help and send them to a place. But we can always stand with them and pray during this difficult time. And let's transform our surroundings by being full of kindness. You know, whether we go on a walk or whatever it may be that you do, allow you to clothe yourself in kindness and carry it wherever you go. So in closing today, this is what I want to share. From the times of uncertainty that I can see in my own life, whether it was with the birth of my son and the difficulty of facing or being a new parent and trying to figure out how I'm gonna do that, or any of the other things that I could have told you about or mentioned that have gone in my life, one thing remains true, and that is that our God is faithful, and he's walked me through every one of those times of uncertainty, and they haven't always worked out the way I thought they would. I guarantee you the woman who was caught that we talked about, it didn't work out the way she originally thought it was gonna happen, but then Jesus came in full of kindness and change the situation just like he has in every time of uncertainty in my life and probably yours as well. So I'm going to encourage you in this time. Let's be the church. Let's, let's be that light and that beacon of hope to people around us. Let's be full of kindness like Jesus and let's bring transformations to the places in what God's, God allows us to transform. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you so much, first of all, for your kindness and your mercy. I thank you, God, that you are one that we can count on. You're tested and proven to be full of kindness and mercy. And I thank you, God, that we can look back in times of uncertainty and see you standing with us. And so, Father, I pray that in this time and in this season, this would be a time where the church rises up that we would stand as a beacon of hope, full of kindness for people to know who you are because of the kindness that we share. And Father, I pray that even during the season as we lock our eyes upon you, we'd be filled with faith about that you are the God who diffuses uncertainty. You are the God who unravels fear and you are the God that is full of kindness. 
So allow us to clothe ourselves in that truth and to carry it around wherever we go. And so, Father, I thank you for an opportunity like this that we could step up and rise up and love people in our community, love people in any way that you would express, here's a way to love. And God, I thank you that um, we have you who we can count on and the Holy Spirit who will guide us. Lord, we thank you for this time that we get to be encouraged this morning. And we thank you that you are a big, powerful God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So, Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.